Wow, God's presence is increasing in this place, isn't it? Man, if the world looked from the outside looking in, we'd have so little credibility in this place. If we were to look at this place through the world's view, they'd be laughing at us. But I don't know what else to say, but God is here. It says it right there where two or three gather in my name. I am with them. Matthew 18, 20. God is here. And you can sense his presence. If you're here, you can tell that he's, he's doing a work in us. He's like the master surgeon. And God, if you let him, he's quick. He's sharp. He'll do that work in you quickly. He'll do something that, to get the junk out of you. And, and it's, that's not his ultimate purpose. It's so that he can inhabit you. He wants to walk with us. He wants us to walk with him. I want to jump right into what we've been talking about. Take you right into the word. Last week, I ended the sermon with this woman. We find this woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. And this woman, there's something that I've been, I've had in my Christian vocabulary for so many years. We haven't said it a lot in this church. I just realized it today during prayer. I haven't really said a line that we've said for years. And it's this line pressing in. It's one of those things that we've been, we've just said our whole Christian lives. You got to press in. There's a pressing in. There's a pressing in. We haven't talked a lot about that line here. But this, this analogy where you find this woman, remember what we talked about last week, the, and I'm, not, I'm just going to breeze through review and then move forward, but the, the Bible says that the crowd thronged Jesus. The actual Greek word that they use there, it's the word for pressure. It's the word for squeezing. And we, we said last week, we've all been in crowds like that where it's impossible to get through the crowd. It takes you a lot of time or you got to push. You got to be forceful to get your way through this crowd. But she pressed in to get what she knew she needed. And, and really the picture that we saw in that story was that many will gather around Jesus we saw that Jesus had just crossed the lake. He had just been with a crowd that wanted nothing to do with him. And Jesus is will, he's going to speak the truth to every single ear. The Bible says that really there's no excuse. When we cross over, we've all been given an opportunity. I don't know what that opportunity is. I don't know what level God says, okay, that was your opportunity. I don't know how that is for every individual. But God will give every single individual an opportunity. He will offer the same gospel, the same hope to everyone. And there is a crowd that doesn't want to listen. That's the reality. We know that. But then he crosses over. There is a crowd. There's a multitude that wants to gather around Jesus. They like Jesus. They like what Jesus does. They like the idea of Jesus. They like the gathering around Jesus. And then there's another level. And I just started touching on it last week, and I'm going to just get right into that. There's another level in Jesus. He loves that you want to gather around him, and he'll take that. He'd rather that than the other crowd. But there's another level. There's a pressing in. There's a pushing through the crowd. Even this church. And it's not a pride thing. We're not going to say, oh, man, you're worshiping God. You back there are worshiping God more than anybody else, so... Let's place you up here. You're not pressing through to become anybody except just to get to Jesus. Even your own church, sometimes you got to press through. You just got to push. You love each other. You're not pushing each other aside. You're just pushing. Listen, I'm, I'm heading somewhere. If you want to come with me, you can come with me. As many as are willing. We read last week that his power is unlimited. There is no limit to the spirit of God that is working in Jesus that is available to us. There is no limit. You will not find the bottom of the barrel. You will not find the end. I mean, even science, they can't even measure space. 
The more technological we get, the further we're able to look. They're finding that it's bigger and bigger and bigger than we've ever imagined. God, there's no limit to God. There's no end to God. There's no end to His love. And there's no end to His power. God is able to do whatever He wants to do. There is nothing that He cannot do. And there's nothing we read in Romans 8.32. There's nothing that He wouldn't do for you. If there's more He could do, He would do it. But the Bible tells us that He's already done everything for you. And it's our job. He's standing there waiting and willing it's your job to push through your mind. That's the first stage in many of us, isn't it? To push through uh, uh, people, to push through even religion, even your church, to push through and say, I don't just want to know about Jesus. I don't just want to be around him. I mean, you can be happy with that for a time, but I want to get to him. I want to grab a hold of him. I want Jesus. And I believe that's the Lord's calling to this place like I said if the world was looking in even if like even if we took a poll from churches you know we'd all be they'd all be holy about it and I'll be like you guys are doing a great thing but behind closed doors I know I've been in those rooms we wouldn't get a lot of respect and who cares this is one woman who grabbed a hold of the power of God because she decided that nobody else nothing else matters I want Jesus. And Jesus said, who touched me? Power went out. Jesus notices. He said, that, it says that there was a crowd thronging him. And he, Peter's shocked that Jesus looks at the one. Peter's shocked that the crowd means nothing. There's no lack of love for him. I'm going to say it. I'm just going to start saying Jesus' love so much that we could never be accused that it's love versus hate. I'm not going to be political, but I'm just going to start saying it every week a hundred times. There's no lack of love from him for that entire crowd. But the one that gets Jesus is the one that comes and gets a hold of him. He's just as available for everyone there, but grab a hold of him. How bad do you want him? How much do we want Jesus? Do we want to be around him or do we want to grab a hold of him? The difference is purely on us. And then Jesus said, don't carry, as we said during worship, don't carry it. Don't come to me and say, all right, now we'll do this thing together. Jesus says, no, let me take your burdens. Let me take the yoke. Get together with me. Become one with me. I'll take those things. Let me do it. We are seeing him as the answer. I've said many times privately, I just mentioned it last week, that when we're going through things and trials and, and stuff that's both before we're a Christian and as a Christian, Jesus gets highlighted. He's the same Jesus that we all need every day, every second, every microsecond of every day. We need the same Jesus. But through our trials, we just become more aware of our desperate need for Him. But there is no difference whether we're facing something in this moment or if we've already faced it and we've come through it. We just as desperately need Him now as we did during our trial. It's our human nature. I'm just like everyone else that when you get what you need from Jesus, our tendency in the flesh is to seek Him a little less. I mean, I, I try, I, I push so that I'm, I make myself seek Him sometimes even more after on purpose because I know my human tendency is once I get what I need from Him that I'm just going to go back to living. That's just human nature. Once we get what we need, we just go, we, we move on. And, I, and, and the Lord is looking for people, and we're going to look at a story today, that realize their desperation for Him, whether we're on a mountaintop with Him or whether we're in a valley. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, that you recognize that same need for Him in everything we do. And the Bible says, 
in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. The Bible says that Jesus, you didn't even come to him before he drew you. Now it's a lie from the pit of hell that Jesus draws some and doesn't draw others. He's drawing all men. The Bible says that he wishes that everyone would believe. In fact, do you know the only reason we question God many times? We question, why does he let this happen? Why does that happen? Why all this time? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says the only reason that time is still going on is for his grace and his mercy for more people to give us time to make the, the right decision. To choose him. That's the only reason that he's even given us time is to make the right choices. And I believe that the heart in this nation actually, you know, many times it happens through a crisis. You know, it was a political crisis. It could be a different crisis. But what we saw in this last season was that the church, no matter what your political things are, what I did see across the nation is that Christians did start to press in and pray a little bit harder, pray a little bit more. You can see that across the board that when there was a little bit of a shaking and a crisis and we're not sure what life's going to look like here we pushed in. I believe that God, no matter what your political position is, that's really irrelevant, that God is answering. God is doing some things. God's on the scene. God responds to that heart. And He is the one, though, that drew you in the first place. He put it on our hearts. I felt impressed. I'm just one person, but I'm one of, of millions. You guys here are one of millions that prayed. We know that because people have been testifying that they were praying and fasting and believing for this nation. And, but I felt impressed upon my heart to do that. Just as I felt impressed that Jesus was the answer. That same drawing is there for us all. But the drawing doesn't end. This scripture continues. Once you accept him and you believe him, the spirit is still drawing. I said uh, a couple of weeks ago that it's like a husband and wife. You don't say, okay, you've given me enough love. We're good. At this point, our love is perfect. That's it. I mean, you're happy in the moment. You're, you enjoy that, hey, we're right here right now, but you're always drawing for more. You would not be happy if your spouse just said, I'm, I'm not going to love you anymore. I feel like I've loved you enough. I feel like I've done, paid my dues. There's a drawing, a constant drawing for more. And the Bible says that that's the Spirit of God drawing us in. It's drawing us, and it's an invitation, one that we choose to answer. We answered the first invitation, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. And what he's looking for in his church is a continual yes to that question. Will you come closer? Come a little bit closer. Come a little bit closer. Come a little bit closer. And sometimes the crowd's going to get in your way. And Jesus is standing over here. He's not sadistic, but he's looking. The Bible says he's looking. He's looking who's going to press through. There's some scriptures. There's a whole bunch. I'm just going to say just a few, but it says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, that the eyes of the Lord the search the whole world. His eyes are searching the earth in order to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to Him. The eyes of the Lord are searching. They're looking. He's looking for a heart that's committed to Him. It says in Psalm 14, 2, that the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. God is looking. Who's going to seek me? Who wants me bad enough? I love you, and I gave you my life, and if I could do more, I would do it. Who wants me? It says in Zechariah 
He's got a revelation from God. He sees into the presence of God, sees the throne room. And it says that there are eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. The eyes of the Lord are searching. They're looking for those that would love Him, those that would call upon Him. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, it says, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. The New King James says that the two have become one flesh. And it says in verse 32 that this is a great mystery. But look at the key here. It's an illustration. He's talking about a husband and wife. The best way he can describe this is a husband and wife. Paul's looking and he's like, how do I talk about God's love? How do I describe the relationship that he wants for us? How can I put it into words? It's a mystery. Really, Paul's looking from the outside, an unmarried man saying, that's a mystery. He's looking at the man and woman. They're both mysteries. That's a mystery. It doesn't make sense that two would start to selflessly give themselves for each other, putting down their own needs, their own desires, their own plans, sacrificing everything. Ultimately, true love, true love starts showing itself when the feelings are gone. You still have feelings, but when the tough time comes and you say, we're together, and he says it's a mystery, and ultimately that picture of the husband and wife giving us the illustration of what true love is, what a true marriage is, is that Christ and the church are one. That's the place that Jesus is looking for us. He will accept you. God loves his church. He loves the world. He loves you whether you accept him or whether you don't. He loves you whether you push in or whether you don't. He loves you the same no matter what. But we, on the other side, the Bible says we are the bride of Christ. So we have the choice. We can push in, we can get that relationship by giving our part. What are you willing to give for Jesus? How far are you willing to go? What will you give up? What would you live without? Husband and wife, they make these decisions all the time. A man just can't be a free man. He can't just go anywhere and do anything he wants anymore, can he? I'm not pointing to you. I'm just right here on the front row. I've got a husband and wife here. You can't just do anything you want anymore. He can because he's got a really easy wife. Very easy going. That's not normal. You just don't do what you want when you want and how you want to anymore. You have given yourself. Actually, the Bible says that love, Jesus showed us that true love, it's selfless. He said, I'll show you a picture of the greatest love, laying down your life. That's the greatest love. Lay, laying down your life. Now, Jesus did that. He already laid down his life. It's not a bad desperation when we're going through something to get to Jesus because we need an answer. But that answer is really just a moment in your walk. If your whole entire walk is about getting answers, is about getting the answer, it's not that you won't go to heaven. It's not that Jesus doesn't love you, but there's more. There's more. We see in the Gospels that he answered them. He finished their issue, finished it, and then there was a walking with him. The Gospel, he, he is more than willing to give you the answer if you will press in and get it. And he is looking for us then to carry that answer and give it to, the, to whoever is willing, whoever will listen in the world. But there's so much more in Jesus. We could look at the, the moments that he's passing through the towns and we could say, see, Jesus is, that's all Jesus is, just passes through. No, to get the true picture, to get the real picture of what 
our relationship looks like with him, let's look at the ones that were closest to him. Those closest to him are the ones we have to look at. We can't look at the passing moments because each of those people in those passing moments, when Jesus finished on the cross, a veil was torn, as we said during worship. I've said it many times, a veil was torn and there was an opening for them, whoever was willing to come in and have an encounter with God for the rest of their life here on earth, but ultimately you already, you've just brought heaven to you right here, right now, eternity, you and him. We're here now and forever one. Let's look at his disciples. They show us Jesus is just having an encounter with Peter, and it's his last encounter with him. They're right at the end, and it's John chapter 21, and Jesus tells Peter, do you love me? He's like, we're getting right down to, I'm I'm about to leave. Peter, do you love me? Of course I do, Lord. He asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, I do. And he said, then feed my sheep. Finally, he says, and follow me. Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep and follow me. Basically, two things. Follow not just, you are staying close to me. In order to follow somebody, you have to follow them. There is no other way to follow him. Really, this is the gospel. Really, salvation is Following Jesus, it's not a ticket that you hand in to heaven. It's not a pass or a badge that you swipe at heaven's gate. Peter says, yep, it's a following. It's following Jesus. And then the feeding of the sheep comes naturally. I've been saying it because we've been looking at the book of Acts and we just finished that. If you read along with the church, we just finished it yesterday. And we see that Peter, we see these encounters with him and Jesus in the Gospels. This is one of them. And I, I said that he, we saw the encounter where he cuts the man's ear off. He's still warring in the flesh. But there's a, a resolution that came for Peter. When Jesus finished his job on the cross and the Holy Spirit got a hold of Peter in that upper room, you never see a struggle in Peter anymore. That doesn't mean that there weren't still internal struggles, but you see a powerful outworking from Peter. There's no question. In fact, the, the Catholic Church is still to this day recognizes him as the father of the church. There was no question that the feeding of the sheep came out of him. He fell so desperately in love with Jesus. He even gave his own life. When Jesus said, follow me, in fact, it was in reference to how he would die. That's not my sermon today that, that you're all going to go to a physical cross, but his love was so desperate. It was so, he was so committed to following Jesus that he actually died on his own cross, physical cross. Spiritually, we're called, though, Jesus said it, to pick up your cross daily and follow me. Whether we go to a physical cross or a spiritual cross, it, it doesn't really matter because it doesn't. The, what is the body? We talked about that. The body really is irrelevant anyway. It's really the spiritual cross that matters. The physical body just came into submission to the spirit physically. But you can do that by living righteously as well. You, told, you basically put your body on a cross. You've picked up that cross and you carried it. You followed Christ. Jesus is looking for people who will follow him. And to get into this for the next few minutes, I want to look over in John chapter 6. I want to pick this up. Right in John chapter 6, verse 2, we see another crowd is following Jesus. It's another crowd. It says a huge crowd or a multitude. A multitude was 
following. They kept following. They were following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. There's a group of people that saw Jesus. They liked Jesus. They saw what he's done. They know that there's something to this Jesus. But we're going to see an encounter here in John 6 that challenges us. One that we need to be aware of. It says in verse 3, Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with His disciples around Him. In verse 4, It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for Him. That crowd, they kept following Him, and they're still following Him and turning to Philip. He asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And that's another story. We're not going to look into that one. But there's an encounter that happens here. Jesus feeds the people, right? We know that story. He feeds them. And it says in verse 14, When they saw Him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely He is the prophet we have been expecting. And verse 22, it says that the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Verse 25. And they found Him on the other side of the lake and asked, this crowd is pressing in. There's a pressing in. They decided to follow Him. It seems like Jesus is zigzagging them, huh? Jesus does that to you sometimes. It's not in an effort to trick you. He's not playing with you because he thinks it's funny. But will you keep following him? Will you keep following him? Did you just come to get what I had to give you? Or do you want me too? And let's look at this encounter. He continues. They, they find him on the other side and they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For the Father has given me the seal of His approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? This is a good question. What should we do? You start following Jesus. Jesus starts speaking to you. A good question to ask to him is, what do you want from me? Who's asked God that before? Who's asked him that in desperation before? What do you want from me? What do you want me to do? This is a good question. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. And he's telling us the same thing today. This is the only work that he wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Is it really as simple as belief that what he's looking for? If we took today's American English language belief, which doesn't carry a lot of weight, then we could skew the gospel. But the word here, belief, means that it's a continual, it's actually the best analogy, which should have an I-N-G, believing. The best really way to interpret this word that he says more is keep believing. In fact, more than that, no matter what comes, no matter what you face, no matter what you believe, that type of belief. Now, if you really believe Jesus like that, what's the most common line we see to people in that dramatic moment in the movie? Do you trust me? It's been in every single movie since the beginning of time. And what is, that, what is that line saying? Because right now, like if you, basically we're gonna do something really stupid, gonna jump out of a helicopter and there's no way we would actually make it, but in this movie we're gonna. Do you trust me? That's really what this belief is. It's a place where you trust him. It certainly is not supposed to happen. It's not gonna make sense, but there's an, there's a total, complete surrender, belief, trust, following. That's it. I'm committed. I'm going with you no matter what, no matter what you say, no matter what you do. That's it. So that's what Jesus was saying. 
Now, just on the surface, believe in him, that's, he now starts to dissect that a little bit. And this is where the crowd said, okay, in theory, that makes sense. Jesus gets into a little bit of detail. He says, they answered. Jesus says, believe in the one he said. And then says, they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. I love how the NLT says this. What can you do? Show us what you can do. First of all, Jesus already addressed this crowd. The only re he already said the reason you're here is because you already saw me do a miracle. In fact, in the very beginning in verse 2, it says that they were following him because of the miracles he did. So Jesus was getting right down to it. Just believe in me. Obviously, you don't. Because if you need me to keep showing and proving myself, and you don't believe me, they had already seen the miracles. What would one more do? And he said, after all, they say to him, after all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven. My father Gave him bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, verse 32. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. What I want you to get right now in these next couple minutes is that to truly follow Jesus, to truly follow him, to truly walk with him, to truly believe him, love challenges you, right? That relationship it's a challenge, one that is well worth the challenge for the benefit you get of companionship, of oneness, of knowing that that person's there for you no matter what. That is there in love. It's worth it. Love is worth it. That complete and total surrender of yourself in belief, in oneness with God, will challenge you. Jesus will say things to you that you will not like. There are things in the Word that are hard for us to get. There are things that don't make, as society, especially today, right? In the 1950s, they didn't have some of the issues with the Bible that we do today. But today, some of the things that Jesus said, true love, true commitment, if it's not challenging you, it's not real, it's going to challenge you. That's why I went to Ephesians. Jesus, to be one with him. That's why he said, man, let's look at the picture of a husband and wife. There's a challenge in taking two people and making them one. The funny thing is with our relationship with Jesus is he gave his very life. He gave everything, his part's done. Really to walk with him, the surrender is all on us. He already surrendered. The funny part is that it's really, it's all of us. It's just our surrender. The more we surrender, the more that's already. It's not, if you love me, I'll love you. It's already available, but you have to get out of your head. You cannot look even at Christians around you and gauge your Christianity. Come on, guys, let's get real. Gauge your Christianity by each other. Gauge it by the churches that you like and not by the ones you don't. Jesus gets right down to it. He will challenge you. He will go to the place. He knows how to get down inside you. He wants you, he wants you to believe in him. He said that's it. That's all that God wants. So he'll get to that place in you. He's going to challenge you so that you really believe him. And he's going to say things to you that don't make sense, you don't like. He's going to make you do things that you don't want to do. Why? Because he thinks it's funny? No, because he loves you. It's love. If Jesus is love, then whatever he does is love. We may not agree by the skewed picture of our American word or English or human word love, but by the picture of the Bible, if Jesus is love, then what he says is love, what he did is love, and what he asks of us is love. No matter what the world tries to paint Jesus as, he is love. 
enough with this love-hate garbage. Man, he is love. There's nothing but love. And he says, he says, verse 33, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. See, many times we want what he gives us. We want, we like what he's saying, like what he's offering. But the way to get there, the application, the following is the hard part, isn't it? It's easy to, Don and I love making lists. It's easy to write down your intentions. It's much harder to get that list done. Jesus says what it is, and now he says to, they say, okay, we want that. It's the application. He's, he's going to challenge you. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 41, I'm going to breeze through this for sake of time. He says, then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I can't say it enough. When Jesus speaks, just shut up. In that moment, I mean, not in, a, not in a disrespectful way, but just he knows what he's talking about. I'm not, dis, he, I'm not trying to disrespect anybody else. Just we have nothing to add to it. We're not going to help. When he speaks, it's the truth. But they began to murmur in disagreement. This is what will happen just believe it's simple, but now let's get down to what that, be, what that means. What's it mean to follow him? What's it mean to continue? It's going to challenge you. Do you, wanna, do you believe or not? And your faith, it's not God trying to test you for his own pleasure. I've said that enough today. But it will come in you because he wants you, through, because of his love, through his love, by his love, to get to him because he's all. He just said it. I'm the bread of life. I'm life. I'm it. And I don't want you to have anything else. I don't want any other part of you to be anywhere else because then you are missing out on life. I'm it. And they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say I came down from heaven? Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. They had no idea what he was talking about. Sometimes God's going to show you one day what he's talking about. You don't need to try to figure it out now. The Lord spoke to me some time ago, maybe a month or two ago. Think about a month ago for circumstances. He said, when you're questioning me, don't question me. Sometimes we have questions for God. That's okay. But you don't question God in the questioning. You settle that I have a question that you haven't answered yet, but you're God. And we just have to come to that sometimes. He was going to show them what this meant if they had started their belief then, they had a chance to believe. Hopefully, these, this crowd had some, uh, some breaths left in them after the cross. When the, and and as the Bible says that 500 witnesses saw him and the gospel started to spread. Hopefully, they said, I remember what he said and now it makes sense and I believe. But it says these people began, verse 52, in this moment, it's not how it was. And this is going to be the challenge for us when Jesus it, when it really comes down to we can follow him so far and we'll follow him here and we follow him there. But as soon as God, as soon as he says something you don't like, something you don't understand, to truly follow him is not until it's comfortable for you. It's going to be no matter what he says, no matter what he wants. I'm talking from cover to cover. It doesn't need to make sense for you to believe it. It doesn't need to be your truth that you've got and you're holding on to be truth. But if you embrace it, if you take the foolishness of this world, which is nothing. God says that his wisdom is greater. The foolishness of this world, it's nothing. His, his 
Our greatest wisdom is not even equivalent to his foolishness. I was trying to get that out somehow. They began to argue with him in verse 58. He said, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die, as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of his disciples said, verse 60, listen, guys, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? This is very hard to understand. Is there anything in the Bible that is hard to understand for you? Is there anything that God has asked of you, has challenged you <laughs> in his love? It's challenged you. Is there any of it that doesn't make sense yet? If we're all like the rest of us, then you are extremely challenged. But he says... Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Jesus will ask you the question. Jesus is not afraid to get to that place in you. He just wants to see how you're going to respond. Jesus is fully aware when we don't understand and when we're questioning him. I think that's comforting, though, that God knows. doesn't say that they said it and he, and he, he overheard them. He just, he knows. Listen, there's, the language here is, is on purpose. He's fully aware of your questions. He's fully aware of your place. He's fully aware of where you're at with him now. And it's our decision to cross over that boundary, to press in, to push through the, the things that are going to get in our way. And some of those things are going to be your mind. Some of those things are going to be religion. Some of those things are going to be, like I said, even people that you love and respect. Some of them you're going to look and you're going to think, okay, this is far enough. I've got Jesus. I understand him here. There might be more, but that's so, I, I'm, I don't need that. I don't need more. There's, I don't need the more in Jesus. I'm okay because everybody else is right here. But there are people we see right here. There's going to be an encounter. It says that then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? Jesus says, man, if this offends you, there's going to be a whole bunch more coming. If you don't get this, if you don't understand this, if you're not willing just to stomach what you don't understand and to keep pressing in, to keep pushing through, no matter you get it or you don't, if you're not willing to do that now, you're going to see some things really that will shock you, that will challenge you. If you don't get this step by step, he says, uh, what are you going to see? What are you going to do? What are you going to think? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are the Spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. Now, verse 66 Look at this. You've heard me say this before, but I think that God is not a coincidental God. Look at this. John 666. The saddest verse in the whole Bible. I think there's no coincidence that it says at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. The going gets tough. His challenge to you, they weren't even being persecuted. There was no persecution for their faith. There was no choose Christ or die. There was no man standing here with a sword. The challenge was completely within their will, within their mind. That's why we spent, I spent January, I felt like it was so important to, to get to that. It's a, we got to be spirit-led people. We, God wants to do some things. His power is unlimited. There's nothing he wouldn't do, nothing he won't do, but you cannot be flesh. Because your flesh, when the going gets tough, when you don't understand, are there questions in any of us towards God right now? Am I the only one who doesn't understand some things, but is willing to stick it out with him? It says that they turned away 
and deserted him because they couldn't get, because they couldn't understand. Truly following Jesus Christ, we're going to see the picture right here, and I'm going to close with this. Verse 67. This is the church, guys. This is God. Listen, he's speaking to you right here, right now. Jesus says to you, he's turning to NNC, and he asked, are you also going to leave? Are you going to leave? You've come with me this far. You crossed here and you crossed there, and and there's some merit to that. I love that you pushed through and you found me here, but are you willing to keep following me? Because if you do, if you're willing to go down that road, more and more and more, the people around you, not because you're trying, are going to oppose you. Not because you are an opposing person, but the more you live like Christ in the darkness of this world, the more they're going to say, we're not alike. They're not, it's like oil and water. There's going to be just so little of them in you. And if you're willing to make that decision, you're going to say something like Peter says in 68, Lord, I love his words here. I love these words. He says, Lord, to whom would we go? Where are we going to go? We found it. I got the answer. You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Listen to these words of David, Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. New King James Version. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Jesus is looking for his people to come to the place as Peter did. You're going to watch. I know it's a sad thing. The further you go in the Lord... It's not a pride thing. Be careful. You're going to start to see that. And don't gauge yourself by anybody else or any church or any book except this one, the Bible. You will see that those around you will, they just can't go where you're going unless they're willing to pay the price you're willing to pay. Which is the absence of you, complete and total surrender, complete and total submission, a following to the end, something in your spirit that says, there is nothing that compares. I'm so thirsty. It feels like I'm in a dry land. I'm so thirsty for you that I am willing to look past the things that you haven't shown me yet, but I know that there's something in you that I need and I'm grabbing hold of it and I'm going to keep pressing through. You're not even look. you find yourself, you're not even looking at anything else. You won't be looking at other believers. You're not looking at the thing, the excuses. You got your eyes set as Peter did on one thing, on Jesus. Let's stand. Let's pray. Lord, as one body, one voice, we need you, Lord. Lord, we need you. You're the answer. And I know that this is the heart cry of this place, Lord. I I know you wouldn't have given this message today if it wasn't. That this group of people wants you. And you're saying, if you want me, I'm here. And we're going to go places. There's, there's a book of Acts for you. But you got to stay close to me. You have to follow me. You have to abandon yourself and cleave to me. 
Lord, we pray in Jesus' name right now. As you would just give us, Lord, as Peter got, Lord, the revelation of who you are. That when he came to the place that he realized who you were, Lord, these words he uttered, you said, Lord, that those words didn't come from him, but they came because God gave him that revelation. Lord, I pray that we would see, Lord, that there is so much in you and so little in this place. Help us, Lord, to balance the living in the world but not being of it, Lord, to be constantly separating from it, to be pushing outside of the crowds, Lord. Lord, we don't want to just be among the crowd. Thank you, Lord, for your love. And we pray for the crowd. But, Lord, we're choosing to move forward. We're choosing as a church we're not going to desert you, Lord. As the going has gotten tough and as they've changed your gospel and they're pulling this verse out and pulling that verse out and rebranding it and reshaping it so it's accessible to everybody, Lord, we're going to pull out of that thing. We're going to be a different group of people that decides to keep following when many are deserting the true faith. We thank you, Lord, that your grace and your mercy are for this place since your love has been just exploded upon us, Lord. I pray for your strength and for your heart to be here, Lord, for your angels to be watching us, Lord, as we're going about our day. I pray, Lord, that our hearts, they would start burning in a way, Lord, that it's not even human, Lord, that we didn't even want you this much, and now we do, Lord. It's a supernatural thing from our spirit to your spirit. I pray, Lord, that our eyes would be so focused on you that these things and these questions and all of the wonderings and all of the other stuff becomes so little and so small and equivalent to following you that it becomes, I counted it all as rubbish. I counted it all as nothing to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.